The Start On Demand. demand. Mackling and McGarry McNabbin once again for Jeff Courier. Lots of stuff to cover this morning. Just want to quickly mention, though, after the time change, I did something yesterday, Greg. I feel like I captured a unicorn. I did something yesterday that I have been trying to do, trying and failing to do for weeks. And I, I say it to you every day. I just wanted to stay up to like a reasonable time without napping and then just go to bed. And I finally did it. I stayed up without napping. I almost fell asleep at around 4.30, just sitting up, but I managed to stay awake. I was actually ready for bed at like 5 p.m. Some I ended up staying up until 8. But I went to bed at a decent time, like a, like a responsible adult. Congratulations. And I surprisingly, I feel rested and refreshed and ready to go. So it was the alarm that actually woke you this morning. Yeah. That's an achievement, brother. It is. Well done. It is. So uh, normally I hate myself and hate my life on Tuesdays, but let's go. (laughs) So I got to ask you on this this school front. Oh, must you? Well. (laughs) I guess that's why I'm here, right? (laughs) That's why you're here. All right. Based on the reaction that I saw Hmm. on social media, is anybody happy about what the province announced yesterday? Probably not. Uh, And uh, business People in the crowd will say that's the mark of a good deal when nobody is happy. That's a good arrangement. When both sides feel as though they've walked away paying more than they should have on one side and maybe not getting as much money as they they could have on the other hand. But uh, this was not in a negotiation. This is being imposed by the province. This is a decision. It's sweeping changes to the way the province of Manitoba delivers education to its students. You've been hearing the commentary. You'll hear it all morning in Jeff Braun's newscast. We have a couple of guests coming up this morning. We want to hear from you. And I just tweeted out this because for me, it sort of summarizes the way I feel. And I'm trying to keep an open mind on this, plain and simple. Just like with healthcare, Brett, the education system in our province, uh, things can always get better. Do I necessarily agree with all the things the province did in changing healthcare? I do not. Do I applaud them for making changes to a system that clearly wasn't working the way it was? Yes, I do. Education, similar feelings. Uh, The education system in our province is far from perfect. I'm not sure how I've ever felt about the number, the mass number of school divisions in our province, but the province is acknowledging itself that regional representation, regional voices are important. So they've gone from and eliminated these elected school boards, 37 of them, to 15 regions. But what they've done is they've lumped all of Winnipeg together. So roughly 100,000 students are going to have the same power, influence, voice, Versus a couple that I just pulled at random. Brandon School Division, which is going to stay a region, 9,000 students. Hanover School Division, which is going to remain a region, 7,400 students. So I'm not sure what's equitable about that. The province is always talking about this is about equity. This is about making things equal, giving all students the same opportunities I don't know. It feels as though certain parts of the province are going to have a higher percentage of voice on this. And uh, for me, that uh, that's a little bit bothersome. But I don't think anybody should worry about this, Brett, because we're going to have a referendum on this, right? <laughs> we get to vote on all these things now. 
That's right. That's uh, right. Well, apparently not. Not on this. <laughs> this is a little bit too close. This is a little too personal. We're going to vote on stuff that we have no idea about, like w- running hydro companies. We're going to get a voice in. But when it comes to the education of our kids, we don't get a voice anymore. We will have more details coming up at 637 from Global's Brittany Greenslade. We will have reaction from parents coming up at 745. And at 845, we will speak to Brian Mays, who is St. Fatale City Councilor. He is a former school trustee, so he will tell us what he thinks. We're also today going to be talking about, well, let's just let the Simpsons tee it up. Good Lord, what is happening in there? Aurora Borealis? Uh, Aurora Borealis. At this time of year, at this time of day, in this part of the country, localized entirely within your kitchen. Yes. May I see it? No. Skinner's kitchen was on fire. He didn't want to let the superintendent (laughs) see it. But yes, we're going to be talking about the Northern Lights. It is a spectacular sight. I have been jealous of anybody who has been able to see this over the past month. My social media has been just inundated with pictures of the Northern Lights. But as we've learned over the last couple of days, Greg, there is cause for concern with the number of people lining up along the highway, and it led to a crash near Okamak Marsh. Yeah, tragedy on the highways. And boy, I think we were speaking to the mayor of Arburg that that morning on our small town salute. And I think within minutes of getting off the phone with the mayor, we learned of that tragedy. But all sorts of reports uh, from individuals saying, hey, it's really dangerous out there. People are pulling off to the side of the highway. So we're going to speak to one of those individuals who brought that story to our attention in the last couple of days. We'll speak to RCMP and Oak Hammock Marsh as well, which is a very popular place for people to try and get to. So we'll do that at 7.05, 8.05 and 8.35. And uh, the Winnipeg Jets, I, the, the, the post sort of summed it up on the Winnipeg Jets Instagram. It just simply said rematch on Wednesday. Yeah, well, the, a lot has been made of the Jets' ability to bounce back. They haven't lost back-to-back games this year, but I'm just going to say this. Good teams... And based on the performance that the Jets delivered Saturday night in Toronto, the Jets have many people convinced that they are a good team. Well, good teams win games consecutively. They string wins together. The Jets have had difficulty in doing that. So let's see if they can start some sort of win streak come Wednesday night. What did Alfred E. Newman used to ask in Mad Magazine? What me worry? Was that it? There's a reason everybody wants to see the Northern Lights because it is one of the most spectacular things that you can ever see. So right now we want to have a discussion. For a chance to win some pizza, San Lucia Pizza, $20 gift card, we need you to tell us a story at 204-780-6868. Shoot us a text. The most spectacular thing you've ever seen, whether it's something natural or maybe it's something human-made, and if you've got a story to go with that, we would love to hear that, and we'll give that away just after 9.15. So let's go around the horn. Here we got Cam Poitras, we got Jeff Forte, we got Jeff Braun, and Jeff, I know you like your burgers plain, just bacon and cheese, please. Don't give me anything fancy, but you're a, a softy, you're a, you're a kind of a teddy bear, a romantic at heart. So I'm curious to see what you've got for us. For the most spectacular thing I've ever seen, it's it's not romantic at all. Uh, I was going to say a, a cruise ship. Oh, that's great, <laughs> um, actually. Yeah. yeah, they are I don't amazing. Know, 
growing up in the you know Manitoba prairies, you don't get to see big boats too very often. And uh, the first time I went on a cruise, I was it blew my mind. I knew it'd be big, but I didn't think it would be that big. And if you see like six of them, you know, parked beside each other at a port, it's just it's quite the sight to see. And then you get on the thing, and you're just amazed that it just never ends. And there's like lounge after lounge after lounge, and restaurant after restaurant after restaurant. And you're out at sea, and you start thinking, well, how exactly is this staying afloat? Should I have looked into that before I, we set off? And then you look out. The good thing with cruise ships is you can almost always sort of see a piece of the shore somewhere. So you don't have endless ocean 360, to, because that would freak me out, too, when you look at the out-to-sea part of it. Well, it's when, too big. When I the was ocean's a, too big. When I was out uh, on a cruise ship, there were there were times where we could see nothing, and I actually found that very relaxing to be that really? untethered from real life. Mm. It was like the ultimate vacation. You couldn't get any further away from real life than on a cruise ship. Do you remember which one you were on, by the way? No, I have no idea. I'm okay. sure I might have it written down somewhere or a picture of it, but it was a, a carnival cruise. Okay. Yeah, you know what? That's a good one because I remember when I the first time I boarded a cruise ship and uh, I had no idea what to expect and I was in similar awe. I just couldn't believe. And I was on a little one by comparison. It was a Norwegian Pearl. I think its capacity was 1,700 and there were other ships at nearby that were like 3,000 people. So, wow. Cam Poitras, you? Uh, well, the most amazing thing I've ever seen was St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican. It doesn't even, nothing even comes close to that. Nothing that I've ever seen in the natural world made by uh, human beings. The St. Peter's Basilica was just unbelievable. So if anyone's ever in the area, <laughs> make sure you stop in there. Um, it was uh, it was just absolutely incredible. I mean, I took photos, but I always told, showed photos of people. I said, nah, this doesn't. This is a complete waste of your time. You have to go. <laughs> it's a waste. It is a waste. Looking at photos of that place is just. It was. Um, it was awe-inspiring, absolutely. Did it have a hot tub? Uh, well, off, <laughs> yeah, it was off Cruise in the back. <laughs> off in the back, you just you had to you had to pay a couple of couple of euros, and they, they let you in the hot tub. There was a, they gave you massages too, Braun. I don't know if you would want one of those, but uh. okay, GMAC, What about you? Oh boy, I, you know you reminded me, Jeff, of when there was a U.S. aircraft carrier in port in Vancouver about 25 years ago when I was there, and they were worried about it fitting underneath the Lions Gate Bridge. So that was spectacular, really good memory. Thanks for drawing that. But for me, it'll always be the first time I went to Wrigley Field, taking the L train from north of uh, Wrigley Field, and uh, on the train with a bunch of Cubs fans. And they knew it was our first time. And I was like 30 years old. <laughs> so I was like a 30-year-old, 13-year-old on the train. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And these folks were like, Greg, watch out the window. Watch out the window. <laughs> and that's what you did. And then you go, you kind of all the houses, houses, houses. And then boom. Bang. It's there. It's, yeah, exactly. And let me tell you, there's something special. And you talk about cathedrals, Cam, and yeah. churches. Well, that's my cathedral. The the stadiums are the cathedrals of baseball. And that's uh, my place of worship, Wrigley I, I, Field. Yeah, I, that was my, I went to Wrigley Field for the first time. I was, I was younger, but uh, I was, I've always been a huge Cubs fan my entire life. And that was the, and it was just like you just said, the most amazing thing to me was you're just in the middle of this like neighborhood and you're just kind of walking. Well, where the heck is Wrigley Field? And all of a sudden you turn the corner and it's, <gasps> oh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Forte, what about you? Uh, I just want to make sure I get this right. A meteor is when it breaks up in the atmosphere, correct? Sure. I, <laughs> I think so. Well, a meteor, right, I believe is when it hits the ground. Anyways, I was out at Rushing River with my friends. Uh, it was probably like eight years ago. 
it's 11 o'clock at night, and we're all supposed to be really quiet. You know, it's quiet time. And uh, obviously, I see this meteor just go across the sky. You can see it break up. It was huge. It was awesome. And I got so excited that I yelled, holy crap. And it's like, <laughs> my, fr- my friends are going in the other campground going, shut up, Jeff. Shut up. You're going to get us in trouble. But it was spectacular just seeing this bright light just go across the sky. And you can see little pieces breaking off it. It was really? crazy. Yeah. Sorry, where was this? Rushing River, uh, just uh, right by Kenora there. And why were your buddies scared you were going to get in trouble? Because it was 11 o'clock at night. We're at a campground. Oh. We're supposed to be quiet. <laughs> There's families around. And, well. <laughs> and I'm yelling, holy crap. Holy crap. Look at the meteorite. Families ruin everything, don't they? Absolutely. <laughs> were, you, were you scared at all that Armageddon was upon you? Oh, no, it wasn't a meteoroid. Meteor, meteoroid? Well, well, it wasn't an asteroid that was coming to destroy planet Earth the size, of, the size of Texas? I saw Armageddon. I know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what we need from you then, 204-780-6868, the most incredible thing you have ever seen. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is in for Jeff Courier once again. We're asking you at 204 780 to tell us what's the most spectacular thing you've ever seen, whether it's something natural or something made by people. Jeff says the most spectacular thing I have ever seen, the tall ships at the harbor in Charlottetown, especially the Blue Nose 2. Ooh. I even had a ride on it wow. in uh, Pick 2 during the Tall Ships Parade on Canada's 150th. That's cool, Jeff. That is spectacular. And thanks for sharing that. But what's this? We're... <laughs> did somebody mention uh, one of our favorite quarterbacks? It sure did. Hey, have we all forgotten we saw Chris Strebler dressed in a fur coat, cigar, cowboy hat, sunglasses, slamming back beers with the great cup in hand, all at Portage in Maine. That's the best thing I've ever seen. That's facts, man. <laughs> that's, that's facts. You're lit. I'm lit. We're all lit. So keep those texts coming for your chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. We'll give that away just after 9.15. Breakfast with the Bombers, by the way, coming up just after 7.30. The reason why we're asking you this question about the most spectacular thing you've ever seen has to do with the Northern Lights. I mean, if you spend any time on social media, and I I don't know how it's been for you, but for me, the Aurora Borealis has been inescapable for the last month or so. Pictures of plenty of the Northern Lights, even on Global Winnipeg's Instagram, which is comprised primarily of your spectacular photos. There have been at least three amazing pictures captured of the Northern Lights in recent weeks. It is indeed a wondrous sight to behold, but it's also brought cause for concern. And we'll visit with the RCMP in just a little bit this morning. Brett, they even tweeted out this morning pictures of the Northern Lights. Global News received an email Sunday evening. Here's how it begins. My name is Kyle Ditter, and I wanted to bring to your attention the recent dangerous actions and resulting consequences with the surging popularity of people traveling north of the city to view the Northern Lights. I thought it would be prudent to ask the media recently has been promoting the idea of Aurora viewing to also promote the idea of how to do so safely and what the dire consequences could be if one is not safe. I alone could count on two hands how many people could have died last night because of stupidity. Kyle Ditter joins us live now on The Start. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning. How are you folks? We're doing well. Thanks for bringing this to our attention. And maybe you can just tell us a quick story of what happened Saturday night at the intersections of, or intersection rather, of highways uh, 67 and 220. 
Yeah, thank you for having me, and thanks for uh, bringing this to everyone's attention. So uh, I'll be the first to say I was also out that night trying to shoot the Northern Lights, although in a different location. So I just wanted to put that out there in transparency. But a friend of mine who lives in the Interlake area was traveling uh, past Okamak Marsh and ended up getting in a T-bone accident uh, with some people that had been viewing the lights in the area. So he gave me a call and asked me to come out and meet him because his car was undrivable. And thankfully himself, and as far as I know, the other three individuals in that car are all safe and all right. But uh, when I got there, I was just simply astounded at how many cars I saw lined up on the road and trans- tra- traversing in the area. It was almost like when a sporting event gets let out and everyone's trying to leave downtown at the same time. It was quite something. How many vehicles? Uh, I can't recall offhand, but in some of the photos that I took uh, were dozens. I would say it would be at least probably 50, at least lined up uh, in almost maybe five or 10 minutes after the accident. So it was quite something, especially for the area that normally wouldn't have that volume, especially in the middle of the night. So what's the most unsafe thing people are doing, Kyle? Well, uh, even when I was driving him back home, uh, there was a number of vehicles, probably five or six for sure, that were just parked off the side of the road on the shoulder. No lights on, no flashers, no four-ways, nothing. And I only you could only see the car was there as you were about one or two seconds away from it, and you might see someone's socks as they're standing on the shoulder. So really dangerous to do. Uh, not very prudent idea to stand in the dark on the side of a highway where the speed is 100 kilometers an hour and cars are barreling up and sometimes you've got kids on the side of the road. Uh, people are just not using their head or their common sense when they're going either there on the highway or even in, in municipalities such as Gimli. I have friends that uh, both live up there around Matlock and in Gimli. They're being harassed by certain people. People are littering all over the place so they're just not having respect for the idea of going out to enjoy nature's beauty well and we saw on twitter over the weekend people complaining who were in those lines of cars on the side of the road you know people lined up to see the northern lights and there was one person who said well there's this, there's this one guy who won't turn his lights off and uh at the time i thought okay well yeah turn your lights off but now and i'm glad that we're talking to you because now i of course see and understand the other side where should the stargazers go to do this more safely? Yeah, you know, I totally understand that concern. Um, I mean, I've been a professional photographer for six years. I've done night photography for that. I've been a semi-pro for over 10 years. I get it. The best thing I can say is that it would be best to go during the daytime to scout out some locations that are on side rural roads that you can turn off of the highways, safely park in an area where there's going to be little to no traffic. Um, and really, you don't have to have your lights on, but your four ways flashing will not harm your view of the uh, northern lights. Uh, it will do very little if you're taking photos. Generally, if you're taking photos that, and I don't want to put anybody hurt anybody's feelings, but if you're taking any photos that are going to be worthwhile, you're not going to be taking them from the highway because then people who are passing you, those photos are going to be wrecked anyway. You're going to be going off the beaten path. So I would just try and go during the day, find a spot that's safe, uh, but definitely not on the side of the highway. Uh, Kyle, thanks for this. We appreciate you bringing it to our attention. Uh, you're a professional photographer. Are you sharing those pictures anywhere we can see them? Uh, I... Do I do have a website, DitterDesigns.com, and also my Instagram is DitterDesigns as well. So that's D-I-D-U-R Designs. Uh, 
Uh, I haven't shared any uh, Northern Lights photos lately just because I've had other things to do, like uh, rescue my friend there from the side of the road. But uh, I do try and post things uh, whenever I get out and uh, take some beauty nature shots. Yeah, I'm just taking a look at your profile now. And uh, some great pictures indeed, so that's a worthy worthy follow. So Kyle Ditter, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate that you reached out to us uh, to present this issue because I think it's a lot of it's something that a lot of people just wouldn't have thought of, uh, but it's entirely important, and safety is paramount. So thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Have a great morning. It means breakfast with the Bombers. It's brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. If you're talking about the Canadian Football League right now, it's pretty tough not to mention the XFL and to ponder what the future might hold for both entities. Ed Tate of BlueBombers.com and also an integral part of game day coverage on 680 CJOB, including my partner during the halftime show for Blue Bomber Home Games, joins us now. Good morning, Ed. Morning, fellas. How are you? Doing all right. I miss you, man. Uh, why don't we talk about this? I know you wrote about the CFL, XFL situation at BlueBombers.com. Let me preface it with this. You're a self-described CFL purist, and one of the largest hurdles for any sort of partnership, in my mind, is whether or not the decision makers are prepared to discuss some sort of middle ground. Uh, can I ask uh, you a question this way, Ed? Why does the CFL have its ears open to this? Well, it's a great question, and I think that's what a lot of people are wondering: is why even bother to align yourself with the the XFL? It's you know folded a couple of times last time, basically because of the pandemic. And I, you know, I think there's a couple of things at play here. Number one. The league, as everybody knows, lost the 2020 season, and it, you know, it financially really, really hurt this this league and, and its nine member clubs. And you know, there's there's a chance here to sit down with the Rock and and his group and and, and talk about growing the game. And initially, that's all that this was meant to be was to share some ideas and talk about marketing, refereeing, and and then a lot of people now connecting the dots and assuming that there's going to be a merger and. To be honest, uh, I don't think anybody knows what the future holds, um, but but I think it's part of the fact that it's the Rock and the CFL is in a precarious position right now, and and in that respect, the the two camps have uh, aligned here to to talk about what might be ahead for both of them. But the, the the prevailing sentiment that I've gathered is no one wants to see Zach Caleros change his jersey, the back of his jersey, to say he hate me. Well, that's the thing, Brett. You know, when people talk about the failure of the XFL, the twice failure, the first time it was Vince McMahon, and that was the he hate me and all the wrestling shtick and a lot of the things that uh, made it different, but, you know, also made it uh, kind of laughable in a way. I I remember covering a game in Orlando between Orlando and Chicago, and uh, it was just it didn't even seem like football. And for a lot of Americans who have other options like the NFL and college and even high school, it just didn't, it just didn't work. And that's why it flamed out so badly. And it, you know, the last reincarnation last year looked a more like a more like a normal football brand. And, you know, it was still Vince McMahon, but you know, the pandemic wiped them out too. the league declared bankruptcy. And that's where the rocks group, swooped in to 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 grab it and and so i'm not sure even though the rock is a wrestling guy too that that his 
vision for that league would be the same as Vince McMahon's. But, you know, in respect to how it affects the CFL, it really is about just sitting down with one of the the biggest brands in entertainment in the rock. And, and, you know, if you look at his partners in Danny Garcia, his ex-wife and Redbird Capital, their Redbird Capital is buying up everything right now with respect to sports. So it's intriguing. You know, that's what I would look at. A lot of people, again, are jumping to conclusions, but, Let's just see how this plays out first before we start uh, getting too upset about, you know, how this might impact uh, the three-down game. Ed, let me uh, get you to react to this. I got this text uh, from a huge fan of the Blue Bombers yesterday uh, during our discussion with Bob Irving. The daunting reality of potentially missing another season in the stands has many uh, waning interest. Along comes a powerful topic like XFL, CFL talks, and we are vocally animated and passionate once again about the CFL, a topic that is intriguing and frightening and full of questions. Like Bob Irving said, maybe in a couple of months this wraps up. With that, we explored it and nothing to it. This would still accomplish the goal, reignite that spark in the CFL while getting the XFL a ton of attention. Well, that's an excellent email, and it's it, it's it's very observant about what might be unfolding here, but the fact is it might it might go away in a few months, but it might not. And there's more people leaning, leaning to the fact that uh, where there's smoke, there's fire, so to speak, and, and that the league, these two leagues can merge and, and grow the game. And so I'm of two camps here because I'm, I'm on, in both camps here because I'm a guy that grew up loving this league, and I still do, and I love everything about it that makes it unique and, you know, that it's a Canadian institution. On the other hand, as I wrote on the weekend, I've been to Toronto too many times to cover a bomber game, guys, and there's nobody there at kickoff. It's just, it's sad. That's our biggest city, and the the CFL doesn't even move the needle there. And so, you know, that's why you have these talks with someone as powerful as The Rock and his group, is that you've got to make the game the way it once was. And I, I don't think we should be naive and think that once the CFL gets back, uh, that everybody is going to cram into all the idioms across the league again and everything's going to be good. You know, I just think you've got to open your eyes and your ears and, and listen to what ha- other people have to say. And if it means some sort of partnership down the road, great. Uh, if you don't like what you hear, then you back away and think of ways to, to grow the game on your own. But I don't think it hurts to listen right now. Ed Tate, BlueBombers.com, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Ed, pleasure as always, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, boys. Have a good day. The province of Manitoba is ready to reorganize education on a massive scale. Minister of Education Cliff Cullen made the announcement yesterday. It is no surprise to Manitobans that our system needed to change. But COVID forced us to recognize our system's huge disparities. Our province spends some of its highest on education in Canada, but sees our students achieve some of the lowest results. As noted by the K-12 commissioners, and I quote, For us as commissioners, this is not the time for excuses or continued explanations about the performance of Manitoba students. We know they can do better. End quote. Part of the reimagined education system is what the government is calling an increased role for parents of students. Brenda Brazo is the executive director of Manitoba Association of Parent Councils. Good morning, Brenda. 
Good morning. So was this the report and the changes you were expecting? Um, no, this is not what we were expecting. Um, you know, we weren't expecting the loss of our uh, school trustees. Um, we were expecting that there would hopefully be more input as far as uh, parents having into what's going on in their schools, which is great. That part's great. But we still haven't heard yet as to how that's going to break down. Um, you know, we can put as many suggestions as we want put forth um, to our principals and stuff like that. But are we going to have that control as to what is done in the community? Um, are we going to have a budget for that? How is that all going to work out? Um, so there's still a number of things that we need to address, you know, and of course, the one thing that we spoke about in our submission was that the poverty issue in Manitoba and the food sustainability for children attending breakfast programs and stuff. So that's still a, a big priority for us. So that's where we're standing right now. Now, part of this reform is the creation of community councils, which would be set up at every school to involve parents. So does this formalize parent involvement in decision-making, Brenda? You know, we believe it does. Like what we've had is like we currently do have parent councils across the province, but unfortunately there are still some schools that, that do not have any parent council set up. And what we found, though, with COVID is that parents are more engaged than they've ever been. Um, you know, before you used to have maybe five or six parents attending a parent council meeting. Now we've got upwards of 10 or 15 parents and parents are saying, oh, so this is what's going on in my school. Um, it's not necessarily that you can come to an in-person meeting, but an online meeting and, and going through Microsoft Teams or Zoom um, is making it much easier for parents to become engaged and see what's going on uh, for their children. And that's what parents want. Brenda, I think uh, for a lot of us, even those that that did like or do like the, the school division model and that ability for the school division to react and interact with the, the community and create those priorities along with the community, I think it was impossible to ignore cities like Calgary in particular that have a Catholic school board and one school board for the entire city. But I find it odd, and you can comment on this if you like, that we're going to these 15 divi- regions to replace the school divisions. Winnipeg is going to be all lumped together with 100,000 students or more. And then you have several of these regions that have under 10,000 students each in them. How are things like this lunch program or breakfast program that you were discussing off the top? H- how are you going to make sure that that remains a priority when not everyone in Winnipeg, not every one of those 100,000 students needs a program like that you know it's it's really difficult even now in the current situation that we're in um, it's not very well known that those programs are needed Um, it's not very well known that MAPSI ran a breakfast program and and delivered hampers and stuff for parents in need over during COVID months you know and, and supplied to these breakfast programs and I think we have to make that more aware um, not only to to parents, but higher ups like you know um, school board school board officials and the minister of education. Um, we need to notify them and to let them know that this is a priority in Manitoba. So moving forward, then, are what's the the, the sentiment? Are you encouraged? Are you hesitant? Uh, are you outraged? What are what are you what are you sort of feeling right now? 
Um, you know, it's too soon to tell, really, for for our organization because you know it just came out yesterday. Um, we haven't yet spoken with the Minister of Education, as you know, it was um, said yesterday that he's meeting with all uh, stakeholders in education. So we're hoping that once we sit down with him, we'll have a further. Uh, conversation as to what it looks like for our organization but right now I think overall as a parent and as a parent organization um, this is what parents have wanted for some time they've wanted to have more say in education for their children they want to know what's going on Um, they want to be part of the curriculum they want to be part of speaking with the principal and, and having their voices heard and I think that's exactly what's gone into this plan um, now, whether it's carried out in the way parents want, that's something that we'll have to see in the future. Brenda Brazo is the Executive Director of the Manitoba Association of Parent Councils. Brenda, thank you for your input this morning, and we appreciate the input that you and your cohorts make uh, towards our children's education on an ongoing basis. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We are also getting your text messages at 204-780-6868. The most spectacular thing you have ever seen, whether it's something natural, whether it's something human-made. One listener saying, my wife's face. Hmm. Another person (laughs) saying, the most beautiful things I've ever seen that I created were my sons when they were born. They were squished and wrinkled and even not pretty in the moment, but it was the most beautiful thing because we created and I grew them. That's wonderful. But that's out. That's, that's, <laughs> that doesn't qualify. <laughs> I was like, I thought we had a discussion this morning. What if we get people coming, coming to the table with uh, my wife, my, my mother, my kids or whatever. It's like, those are good most days of the year, but that's not going to win you yeah. the contest today. No, no. So you can stop now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, just, we're just having some fun with you. That's a great story. And of that's a lovely sentiment. But, of course. But we're looking for stuff that you've seen in the external world. <laughs> Mackling and McGarry. How's this for a spirit in the sky? One text message saying, The coolest thing I have ever seen, because we're asking you to tell us a story about the most spectacular thing you've ever seen at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win a $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. Coolest thing I've ever seen was Saturn's rings. We were on vacation out east, came across the friendliest guy you could ever meet. He had this huge telescope set up and encouraged everyone to look through his telescope and you could see Saturn's rings. He had a computer set up to this telescope and what he would do is he'd punch in the three-digit ID code and uh, the telescope would automatically find whatever it was that you were looking for. So Whew. that's neat. And the, he sent a picture of the telescope. This thing is huge. It's called the Celestron. It's like a cannon. It looks like something Jesse Ventura would carry around before <laughs> saying something cool like, I ain't got time to bleed. Like you could stick your face inside the end of this telescope. So that's cool, man. Thanks for sharing that story. That's great. That's the kind of stuff we're looking for. So keep them coming. And the reason... We're asking you this is because we're talking about the Northern Lights this morning. Everybody's trying to get a glimpse of them these days, but that is creating some safety issues. Kyle Ditter, concerned citizen, joined us at 7.05 to tell us about his 
friend was in a crash at Highway 67 and 220, and that's basically the entry point to get to Greg Oak Hammock Marsh. And Jacques Bourgeois joins us now from Oak Hammock Marsh Interpretive Centre. Jacques, it's been far too long since we've heard your magical voice on CJOB. Good morning, sir. Good morning to you. So how many cars were uh, parked at the marsh on Saturday? I mean, it's one thing to come to see the, the geese arrive, another altogether at night. Well, I wasn't there myself, but uh, I heard rumors that there was uh, well over uh, a few hundred cars anyways, at least 400 cars. So that was uh, quite a busy night, I guess, uh, for Northern Light watching, which is uh, interesting in a way because, I mean, Northern Lights, you don't really need to be at the marsh per se to see them. You can be anywhere as long as it's a, a dark area. So any rural areas in Manitoba would, would be just fine. But I guess for some reason, the marsh, because we have a dark light policy, so we don't interfere with migrating birds in the fall and spring, uh, it makes for a, a great spot, I guess, for uh, for watching the sky. And is that marsh area even accessible at night? Well, I guess people came and used the parking lot mostly. They basically just parked in our parking lot, um, and that gives them like a sense of safety because I guess safety in number. Uh, I know some some astrophotographers told me that they they love to go out and, and park on a small gravel road uh, in, in rural Manitoba, but then they kind of feel. Uh, exposed, like they feel by themselves, and the cars drive by and stop and wanting to help them, they kind of feel uh, nervous. So I guess that's, that might be one of the reasons why people get to congregate in those places like the marsh or Birdsville Park, because I guess safety in number. But really, like anywhere you go, if you go with a couple friends, uh, any small roads, any gravel road, any uh, remote areas would be just fine for Northern Lights. So we've been talking about the safety of human beings and vehicles being perhaps improperly parked and posing a risk for other motorists, but it's not just individuals putting themselves at risk by engaging in this activity. There is a safety concern for other beings as well. Fair to say, Jacques? Absolutely. I mean, the marsh is there for a reason. It's, a, uh, it's, it's there to protect wildlife. It's a wildlife sanctuary. So obviously, uh, birds and mammals feel safe. But if there's lots of cars driving up and down the highway at night, uh, jackrabbits will probably be one of the first casualty uh, skunks. And right now, the geese are back, so they're looking for a, a safe place to nest. And if they have a heavy traffic uh, you know, day and night, they might not be nesting there. So it, it will actually probably interfere with their, uh, with their nesting. Well, and especially with geese, they basically go back to the same spot year after year, do they not? Absolutely, yeah, they do. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, obviously we, we appreciate people's interest in observing the sky. We do actually uh, an astronomy session every month at the marsh to uh, sort of showcase people what is in the sky besides the birds. And it's like, as I mentioned, being a dark spot, we can use our big telescope, like the cannon you were talking about before, and we can point it at the, the rings of Saturn and, and the, the moons of Jupiter, which is great. But uh, when we have uh, hundreds and hundreds of people coming and sort of making it a free-for-all kind of place, it's, uh, it's disturbing wildlife for sure. Well, why don't you just tell us before we let you run, because you do some incredible things at Oak Hammock Marsh, my boys, and I used to love to come up there when they were younger. It's probably time to come back. Uh, give us the 60-second elevator pitch for those who have not been there, if, if you can imagine that. Well, it's about half an hour north of the city, so it's a great location between highway number 8 and number 7. And uh, we, uh, we're welcoming the birds right now. It's a good time to see uh, the birds coming back from, uh, from the south. And we have camp coming up as well as uh, our wild wetland week, so you can discover some of the critters that live in the marsh. Jacques Bourgeois, Oak Hammock Marsh Interpretive Centre, joining us live on CJOB. Jacques, thank you very much, sir. Thanks for having me.
And indeed, Greg, with the geese coming back to the same spot year after year, we're not at Polo Park anymore, but for the last, ever since we moved into Polo Park, every spring, it's always the same two geese who come back and hang out in the parking lot and on top of the roof of the bay. They're like sentinels guarding the area. Well, it seems like they're guarding it, but really they're just guarding it for themselves. They hiss at you and they set up in the planters outside of Marshall's and they would hiss at the customers trying to get into the store. Like of all the places to set up, they set up in a concrete parking lot. Well, they're depending on a puddle to be there. I think for the most part, it's going to be uh, difficult for puddles to be appearing anywhere with uh, essentially no snowpack and and what's going on right now and the lack of moisture that we've had. We used to have a a, a pair, I guess they were a pair of geese that used to nest in the parking lot at New Flyer back in the day, and that. You know, for as great a parking lot as it was to, to leave your car, it was gravelly and it was busy and it was noisy. And it was just bizarre to see these geese decide that, yep, yeah, this is where we're going to nest forevermore. Like, <laughs> this wasn't like just uh, as Jacques said and as you pointed out, this isn't just like, yeah, we'll take this for now. Yeah. This is like our place to be. This is our dream home is what they're <laughs> declaring. They need the property brothers or something to help them out. They need some renovations. And the funny thing about those two geese, too, at Polo Park is they used to scare Jeff Braun. He, he was scared of them. I, sh- I shouldn't laugh because would, they are scary when they get going. I would take pictures every time I saw them for the first time. I'd send Braun a picture and say, hey, Jeff, they're back. And he'd tell me to go to hell, essentially. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is in for Jeff Courier. The five former school trustees who now sit as Winnipeg City Councillors yesterday sent out a joint statement to denounce the provincial government's proposed legislation to abolish the Winnipeg area elected school boards. Councillors John Orlico, Cindy Gilroy, Sherry Rollins, Ross Edie, and Brian Mays stated in part, our school divisions are a reflection of local democracy at work. The residents of Winnipeg are able to vote for trustees who represent their values and their priorities. The proposal to eliminate these local boards is not good for students, it's not good for schools, and it's not good for residents. Many of the questions from critics of this plan, including this group of city councillors, seems to focus on, quote, how will these changes make things better for students in the classroom? Brian Mays represents St. Vitale on Winnipeg City Council. He, he is also a former Brandon School Division trustee. Good morning, Councillor Mays. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we appreciate your time today. Can I ask it this way? How did or does, because they haven't gone away yet, how does the existence of elected local school boards make education better for students? Uh, just, I mean, it's democracy. You're not dealing with a big bureaucracy that's centralized. If you're upset about something, and, you know, Sage Creek, which I represent, they were upset last time with the local trustees. One of them got voted out because of the way some issues got handled around the expansion or non-expansion of Sage Creek School. So I think it it just, it's democracy. It gives people more of a chance to talk to a local elected representative and, and change them out if, they're, if people are upset. The province says that centralizing decisions, contract negotiations, and procurement will be far more efficient. Was the system working as it was? I mean, I think you could make an argument for, hey, shouldn't there be one big school board for the city of Winnipeg, I think you you could have made that argument and said, okay, we'll have 15 elected trustees, something like that. But I mean, I think it was work from my perspective it was working. I knew the local trustees. I got things done with the local trustees. When I was a trustee, people would stop me on the street in Brandon and 
you know, praise me or uh, harangue me for for something I'd voted on. And so yeah, I think it I think it reflected. Now you're saying, you know, you might say, well, how was our performance in the classroom? Well, maybe not so good compared to other provinces, but I don't think that had to do with you know, democratic and local control of school boards. I think there are some other factors going on there. Uh, Brian, help me understand this because, you know, I, I'm a fan of democracy and I love the fact that I can text you and ask you to come on our program and ask you a question. And typically you'll give us an answer on how you feel about a topic. And uh, most of the city councillors will do the same. Uh, but it feels as though it's becoming more and more difficult to get answers from either elected officials or bureaucrats who are running certain departments along the way. And that's at the provincial level, it's at the federal level, and it's at the civic level as well. Is, is this move going to help that accessibility and that ability to, like you say, voice your concern with, uh, with your neighbor who might happen to be a school trustee? I, I I think I don't think it will help. I mean, I think it's eliminating um, a local voice. I mean, I worked on I volunteered on a bunch of U.S. campaigns, and I remember they were electing county coroner somewhere in Indiana when I was down there. And that okay, now that seems a little excessive when you're electing sheriffs and coroners, but I don't think it's excessive to to have a voice in how the local school runs. I think that's a good part of democracy here. It's a very important part of people's lives. So, um, I mean, I I think. A lot of what I've accomplished over the past few years in in Saint Vital, I've done in conjunction with Louis Riel School Division. The trustees have been great. We got a ton of stuff done and built, and it's accessible to the public. You know, anything from playing fields to tennis courts to running tracks. So I I don't think I'd have gotten that done with a big centralized bureaucracy. So I think I do think there's a voice here for local elected school trustees. Yeah, because the I would imagine. That and I think this is a pretty safe assumption, but the needs of of students and schools in one part of Winnipeg are not going to be in lockstep with the students and schools of another part of Winnipeg. Yeah, and I mean in Brandon, uh, you know, I ran on well, let's restore the gifted and talented program, which had been cut by the previous group of trustees. And I had a friend Ramona Cooey on the board there, who completely different political party, but she agreed with me, and we, you know, we we ran on that, we got that that reinstated. So I think there's some ability it's not going to change the entire curriculum or the school year around but you can have some local influence and say to your local trustee i remember somebody saying to me why are they still allowing smoking here at the outdoor football games and then the person said you could do something about that you're a trustee and i thought i could do something about that so we banned it like a week later so i mean you, you know it's not earth shattering but at least it's a local it's someone you see at the liquor store or the supermarket or outside and you can say hey could you do this here's a change you could make i think i think that's better than having a big province-wide bureaucracy frankly so there are you know they're creating this uh, school community councils and a provincial advisory council on educations and also they're creating a student advisory council to to create a, a direct pipeline at least that i would assume would be the argument on the side of the provincial government and for this change but one of the things that I saw on social media earlier this morning that have has me thinking is who the people who ultimately end up having time to serve on these things and and end up having uh, influence on these decisions more frequently than not are people who come from uh, households potentially where only one parent is working people who don't have to work multiple jobs to pay the bills do, do you understand where I'm coming from here counselor 
Yeah, I mean, who who knows what it'll be? I mean, there are different parent councils at different schools. Some of them are terrific. Um, some of them are non-existent in my ward. Um, so, I mean, good for people for getting active. But yeah, that uh, you you wonder how representative that would be of the the general public. Um, right now, however imperfect it may be, to to elect your local trustee, you can you can make a change if you feel upset with the incumbent. So and that that has happened and in, in in Louis Riel, I know, and certainly in the last election it did. So yeah, I think I mean who who can criticize somebody who wants to volunteer and be on a parent council, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. how how representative that will be uh, impossible to say. For so many people it comes down to money and I know we've got to let you run here. Uh, $40 million isn't anything to sneeze at in terms of this money saved. Do you you believe that the money, A, is there and it will be saved? And do you believe uh, when the government says it will go into the classroom? I I don't think people, I mean, it's a a big amount of money, but not in the overall scheme of things. And I just feel like it's, there's just as much risk of salaries leveling up when you pull together, you know, the the maintenance staff from seven different school divisions, I'm not sure it's going to go to the median salary. It may well go to the highest one. So I'm not sure all of these savings will materialize, frankly. I, I, I mean, I think in any consolidation, you've got that risk. But you, if they announced one big board with 15 trustees, something like that, then at least you could say, well, they'll, it'll be bigger, it'll be awkward, but we'll still have some democratic control. This just seems like a compromise on a compromise. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that, I'm, well, I don't think this is good public policy. Brian Mays represents St. Fatella Winnipeg City Council. He is a former Brandon School Division trustee. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate Thanks. it, sir. Thanks very much for having me. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is in for Jeff Courier, and we've been asking you today at 204-780-6868 to text us a story about the most spectacular thing you have ever seen. This is inspired by the fact that we've been spending a lot of time talking this morning about the Northern Lights, one of the most spectacular sights to behold. And we have our winner, Santa Lucia Pizza, $20 gift card, but uh, you mentioned something about a hill. What do you got? Okay, I'm looking at a picture right now from a listener named Dale. He says this, I hope the pictures do it justice, but last fall I was driving down Highway 59 near Saint-Pierre, and out in the field were about 30 to 40 bald eagles hanging out. I was just amazed. You see one every once in a while, but seeing that many was a sight to see and I'm looking at this picture and I'm getting goosebumps because yes you do see typically a solitary bald eagle or perhaps a pair but to see more than two dozen in one spot absolutely awe-inspiring oh and listen to this one that is great by the way I would love to I, I don't know that I've ever actually seen an eagle period uh, at least not up close like that or close-ish, maybe way off in the distance in the air. Hands down seeing the Chicago Bulls play in the old Chicago Stadium oh. in the early 90s. I remember the electric atmosphere and the introduction of 
Michael Jordan from oh, North Carolina. Oh my gosh! Yep, yep. <laughs> the and the Bulls were playing the villainous Indiana Pacers. Since then, I've got married, I had children, but nothing compares mm. to seeing those Bulls with my own eyes. It was like seeing superheroes here on Earth for a tween girl. That was everything. Wow! Sit down, Reggie Miller. Michael Jordan's on the scene. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great story. No kidding. But uh, we, God, we had a hard time picking on this. Here, a couple of other texts here. We mentioned the telescope, uh, Saturn's rings. That was from Victor uh, saying they were on a vacation out east. Friendly guy was just encouraging everybody to come look through this monstrous telescope called the Celestron, and you could see Saturn's rings. We had a couple people mention Saturn's rings. We also had a couple of people, Greg, mention the city of Pompeii. Yeah, Perry says this, the most amazing thing so far in my life, we toured the city of Pompeii, the ruts in the roads from carts, the artwork and the bodies that were uh, recreated in plaster were there... Uh, were found in the hollowed out er- areas of ash. Amazing. I want to go back. Sorry, I didn't mean to butcher that. This is something uh, just a little bit off there, but I think we get the gist. And uh, I think our, oh, you. I'm going to read, why don't you read Deb's text because you liked that, and then I'll read Bill's the winner. Yeah, Deb's was really cool. The most incredible sight we ever witnessed was humpback whales bubble net feeding while on an excursion out of Juneau, Alaska. Upon the signal of one of the group of whales, they would emerge from the water simultaneously in a circular formation, mouths open, filling with them uh, the tiny krill they had surrounded. Spectacular. And being able to see that would be cool. But Bill painted such a great picture, and which is what a brazen story, Bill says. I was out with a friend 25 years ago, walking in the bush in northwestern Ontario. We came across a beaver dam. I had my camera along and decided to see if I could get some cool pics. I stripped down to my underwear, put my camera in a plastic bag. I jumped in the water and went under and slithered my way up to the entrance to the beaver lodge. When I got inside, a beaver quickly went out the other entrance, and I got some really neat pics of the inside. I went to leave out the tunnel, but my underwear got hung up on a stick halfway out, so that's where they stayed. (laughs) I think about it now, and so many things could have gone wrong, but spectacular pics. Bill, (laughs) congratulations. You are our winner. You got to see what most of us will never see unless it's on a film documentary. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is in for Jeff Courier. We will hear from her in our next segment. But right now we want to hear from you at 204-780-6868. Call us now at 204-780-6868. We'll just ask you the question, and we want to talk to you right now. Do you approve of the sweeping changes the province is making to Manitoba's K-12 education system? Now on cjob.com, where that question has been asked, 80% say yes, 20% say no. On Twitter, it is a different story. We've got 49% who say yes, 51% who say no. And then as well on our Instagram, it was around the same, a really close race on Instagram as well. So let us know what you think, 204-780-6868. We've already had a number of uh, opinions on this, Greg. Uh, We spoke to... City Councilor Brian Mays, just around 8.45. Uh, he's a former school trustee in Brandon. We spoke to Brenda Brazo, Executive Director of the Manitoba Association of Parent Councils, and I'm sure we'll hear more reaction throughout the day here on CJOB. 
going to be heard. I need to press the magic button as I go on here. Yeah, you know, uh, obviously there are <laughs> two, well, three sides to every story, most people like to say. But in this case, um, I think there are going to be some severe divisions here because uh, if you listen to Brian Mays, he says that uh, really school boards are ultimate democracy. They are that connection, that conduit between the community and what happens in the schools. And in a lot of cases, the conduit between uh, neighborhoods, the schools and city council and the legislature. And what happens in uh, those communities in your schools typically have to flow a certain way. And a lot of people I know are concerned that Two things are, are happening here that's going to get in the way of that, if not three things. The first thing is vice principals and principals being removed from the teachers union. And so now you've got a situation where it's a def definite line of management and worker. And so the question at least one teacher had for me yesterday, so what is now the new function of a principal or vice principal? Is it to mind the bottom line? Is it to mind policy when what, if you are a member of the teachers union, you're sort of your proclaimed job in life is to help students, to give them the best education uh, that you're able to provide with the skills that you have, to put it, to paraphrase and to put it bluntly. So d does that dramatically shift now that, principals and vice principals are decidedly in quote unquote in management. There was already divide there in a lot of cases. Then you go to the next level with regard to uh, elected school divisions. Yes. You know what? Does Winnipeg need six school divisions? No, Winnipeg doesn't need six school divisions, but why are they getting rid of the elected side of this? Why are they appointing people? Why are they going? I mean, this is a dramatic jump to go from six. And we used to have, I don't know if it was a dozen or close to it, a dozen school divisions in Winnipeg. There was a big amalgamation several years ago that a lot of people were in favor of, and it seemed to find some savings and to, and to consolidate a, a lot of efforts of different parts and of the city and of the province. And so I, I can get behind that. But why are you getting a rid of, like I say, the elected portion? Why are you getting rid of that conduit, that ability for me to, if I'm neighbors with or know my school trustee, or maybe I don't know them, and I can reach out to them and I can say, hey, because you get paid, there's a difference between a volunteer. You know, when you're a volunteer, it's very easy to say, you know what, I don't get paid to do this. I don't get paid enough. No, you're not getting paid anything. But school trustees, there is an accountability. You have every four years, you have these elections in order to replace somebody if you feel they're not doing a good job. And that's now, it's all completely gone. And so if you're acknowledging the other point I'm going to make, if you're acknowledging that you need that representation on a community basis, and I would suggest the province is acknowledging that by creating these 15 regions, why isn't it more equitable? I don't see how you can on one hand suggest that Winnipeg be represented by one region with 100,000 plus students and then you have these pockets and these other regions where they have less than 10 
thousand students. Shouldn't we be just taking the school population, dividing it by X, and that's how many of these regions we're going to have? So now inherently, you have some regions with more power than the other in terms of creating policy. And I think it's unfair way to go about this. If what you want to do is create uh, equity in this setup, you've completely flown in the face of that and you've contradicted yourself. I like it when people say, this is what we're going to do. And all the decisions that they make point back to that core value. And if the core value is equity, the creation of these 15 regions, some of which have 7,400 students and one of which has 100,000, I think that's totally contradictory. Here's a question. If they're pulling principals and vice principals out of the teachers union, are they going to be allowed to teach? Like my vice principal, Monsieur Buisson, was my calculus teacher mm. in grade 12. It wasn't a fill-in. He was my calculus teacher, and he was great at it. It was the first, like, he, he was always the scary vice principal, right? But as a teacher, as an educator, he had a lot of passion for that subject and a lot of passion for helping us. And I remember him pulling me aside. I was going through a, a thing. I don't know. I liked a girl or something, and wasn't working out story of my life lol but uh, he pulled me aside and he noticed that that my work was slipping and that my studies were slipping he wanted to help so and there was i think even one time where my principal uh had to fill in and just sort of as, as an emergency sub which was <laughs> monsieur Auger, one of the most intimidating guys i'd ever met and of course it was intimidating having us in our classroom and i lipped off and me i wasn't trying to lip off i was just trying to make kind of a smart aleck comment but he threw me out of the class but if they're not in the union anymore does that can they even step into that role i think that's a great question i certainly don't know the answer to it uh, it was obviously going to make it uh, difficult for them to do that, uh, I would suggest. But they have the, these core focuses uh, that they released with the report yesterday, sort of the summary here. Strengthen curriculum implementation and classroom learning. How can anybody, how can anybody argue with that? Impossible to argue with. Focus on higher achievement, engagement and pathways for the future of all students and close the achievement gap for Indigenous students. Sounds like a tremendous opportunity and something that we should have been doing all along. Increasing supports or increased supports for to teachers, staff, and school leaders with improved professional learning, targeted recruitment and retention planning, and enhanced classroom reports, supports. Once again, why wouldn't you be doing that all along? Implement new provincial assessments, grades 3 or 4, 6 or 7, and 10, with school-level data along with greater use of provincial report cards. And I know that this is a problem some teachers have. The notion of teaching to a test versus giving students the opportunity to learn what they can based on the curriculum, do their very best. What happens in a lot of the places in the United States, a lot of the schools in the United States, that if you don't get a, uh, hit a certain threshold, and I'm not suggesting we're Americanizing the education system, but this is what happens when you start teaching to a test. A lot of times there are points or dollars attached to your test results. And if you don't achieve certain thresholds, there are repercussions for that. And so is that where we want to get to? A lot of teachers asking that question. Do we want to get to that point where we're teaching to a test, a standardized test? And a lot of teachers say that that's not a good idea. There are 12 uh, points altogether in terms of this review and the overall 
review of this review, unify 37 school, school boards into 15 regions. We mentioned that. So now you've got a provincial education authority develop a new provincial funding model that is fair, transparent, and sustainable. Tough to argue with that. There's a lot of things in terms of the umbrella goals of these changes uh, that you cannot argue with. Uh, the arguments, I think, lie in how they're going to go about doing it and achieving it and measuring it. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.